All right, all right, all right. I am Gib Gerard. This is Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm here alongside John Tesh. We got a great show for you today. Our guest is Dr. John Huber. He is a forensic clinical forensic psychologist. He is all about uh, he's all about mainstreaming the idea of mental health. And I actually intended to talk to him about a whole bunch of stuff, including why we need more vacation time, all kinds of other things. But we ended up getting stuck on a couple of things. One was was depression and how much our modern life adds to depression and some things that we can do to to protect our own brain from the modern life we've imposed on ourselves, as well as using screen time to motivate your kids to do all kinds of things. And, and he's like, a little bit like B.F. Skinner. He uses, he motivates his own kids with their screen time and uses that to manipulate them. And we're going to talk about how to do that in a healthy way in order to, uh, in order to reinforce positive behavior instead of negative behavior. But first, can you just give that to me right now? That because your your grandkids were here, you were potty training the young one. Yes, and then so you left the seven year old. You left them. Yeah, left <laughs> you sent them. Yeah. We picked them up, the yeah. seven-year-old and the five-year-old. And I, I, I don't know what to do, how to do the screen time. I don't know what I'm supposed to do or I'm not supposed to do. So is the doctor going to tell me this? The doctor's going to tell you how to use, yes, about how to Gip, do By it. the way, Gib did this interview, and you're going to hear it in just a minute. So stand yeah. by. But I have, so, to, I have to know something well, yes. before so we get to it. So he's going to tell you how to use, he does it with his own kids, how to use the screen time and the addictive nature of screen time in order to reinforce positive behavior in your kids. So it's a positive reinforcement loop. That's what screen time does for us. That's what a lot of modern life does, is it gives us this, our brains this, naturally, this natural positive feedback loop. Um, but what we have to do is take positive behaviors and associate with it. So he makes his kids practice piano for a certain amount of time and then gives them screen time and almost forces them to do screen time after they practice for a short amount of time because that gets them in that same mindset that the, that the, that the screen feeds when they do something positive like practicing piano yeah. or getting outside. Yeah, don't and, you have that problem with your, with your eldest girl? That doesn't she, don't you have to stop her from reading? I mean, sometimes she just... Sometimes won't. you do, yeah. So yeah. she loves to read, but she also could watch television for 19 <laughs> hours a day. I mean, That's she good, could... Good, uh, good. Another one, she's like a junkie on, you know, hate and Ashbury. She just needs another fix just to get through the next hour. Yeah, yeah. And it, but part of it is because her school doesn't allow screen time That's right. during the week. So on the weekends, she's like, no, no, no. I have been building up my tolerance all week. I'm ready. I'm ready for the for the hit parade. So, are there are there some tips coming up here on what to do if you or how to tell if you're depressed and what to do if you're depressed and why you're getting depressed? Yes. Yeah. All kinds of stuff about why why modern life is depressing us. But the uh, I'll give you I'll and, give it's, you a headline. and modern life is making it worse, huh? Yes. We don't get enough sunlight. That's oh, another issue. Wow. You need you need your vitamin D and not just vitamin D from a supplement. We'll tell you why you need actual vitamin D from the sun. Because there is, because it helps with your neurotransmitters, and and Doctor Huber okay. will explain that. But All first, right. yes, if you guys like this podcast, you like seeing us, hearing us talk, and and do shtick. Come see us live. Check it out. Teshmusic.com. We're going to be all over Florida throughout the month of November. So please come see us. Come see us do weird stuff. Uh, it's, yeah, we do weird stuff. We, it's 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 a variety act. It's, so we're going to really be fun. In, we'll be in Palm Beach Gardens. This this starts this tour starts on the fifteenth of November, Palm Beach Gardens. Then we're gonna be at the Villages. That is a crazy senior thirty thousand people community, and I'm sure you can get in there. <clears throat> they, I mean, they, listen, these are sixty five year olds to ninety year olds acting like twelve year olds. So you'll, yeah. yeah, so bring your kids. Parrot heads, a bunch of parrot heads, right? And then Avon Park, Florida, on the seventeenth, and then Fort Myers, Florida, on uh, on the eighteenth. Yeah, so come see us live, teshmusic.com. Uh, and also you can hit us up at facebook.com slash John Tesh. Let us know if you uh, want us to come to your town, interact with the videos that we post, talk about the talk about the podcast. It's all happening right now at facebook.com slash John Tesh. Also, if you have a guest that you want on the show. Uh, let yeah, us tweet, know. Tweet at you. Yeah, at, at Gib Gerard, G I B G E R A R D. Those are because uh, we can call anybody. It's, um, it's oh, people are dying to be on this show. That's the way phones work nowadays. You can literally dial any number. <laughs> so uh, that's that's it for as far as housekeeping goes. Also, if you want your pet to be featured on our Instagram, John oh, Tesh yeah, underscore I F Y L, be pet yeah. of the week. There's a link to how to submit in the show notes. So go ahead and check that out. But without further ado, unless do you have something else you want to say? No, I'm I'm excited about this interview. Here is our interview with Dr. John Huber. Dr. John Huber, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me on. All right, so first and foremost, uh, I want to talk about your project of making mental health mainstream. Now, I'm a big fan of mental health in general, but can you tell me a little bit why that's important to you? 
Well, it's important to me, you know, professionally, I, I have privileges at some medical hospitals and for, you know, the past 10 years or so, doctors write orders for me to go see patients and the patients just blow up. I'm not crazy. And, you know, it, it, it's not about being crazy. And the patients who come to me in my office, they already have accepted mental health as, as a reality. So they show up and there's no issue, but it's the ones who probably need it the most. In fact, you know, we lose about 160 to 170 people every day to suicide, and over 50% of those people have no diagnosis or have ever seen anybody for a mental health issue. And it's a scary thing because we get into talking about mental health and people freeze up and they're afraid. And there's, there's cultural and historical issues associated with that. Um, you know, there's some cultures that believe if you have a mental health issue, your family has been cursed and it's very difficult for people to, for example, you know, get their kids married off if they believe that, that there's this um, a spiritual curse against the family. So I get into working with my patients and I see a lot of them, a lot of family members are essentially offended that, oh, they have a diagnosis of depression or, you know, bipolar disorder or whatever's going on with them. And in the hospitals, especially, you know, they are very fearful of that diagnosis because they don't know what it is. Hmm. And it scares society in general. So when we look at something like childhood cancer, for example, in the early 80s, we had about a 15% survival rate in general for childhood cancers. And we started looking at what are the precursors, what are the prodromal things, the things that happen first that start indicating cancer's coming. And now today we have an 85% survival rate. So we switched that whole thing. Wow. But with mental health, we still don't know, really. I mean, when I go and talk to families with somebody who at 16 or 18 or maybe even in their early 30s gets diagnosed with a mental health disorder and, oh, well, they were a little eccentric, but they were normal. You couldn't tell the difference between them. And the fact is they weren't. And we need to figure out what those items are that stand out and say, hey, we need to do something now before this person has a full-blown psychiatric break. And until we can talk about it, we're not going to be able to slow that that progression down. So, so what is okay? So you're saying you deal with these people who have a stigma about mental illness, uh, yes, and or even about just pursuing mental health in general. How do you actually go about erasing that stigma? <laughs> well, the the reality of it is, mental health issues are not. Uh, 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 isolated. Everybody has to deal with them, whether it's it's Uncle Bob who drinks too much. So now Thanksgiving lunch is not at lunch anymore. It's at 3.30 because that's when he can get, get up and be clean and sober long enough to start dinner. And you may not have a diagnosis and may not have something significant uh, with you, but you, your employee does. Everybody has to deal with it. Every, I mean, one in five people uh, have probably uh, diagnostic criteria for mental health disorder of some sort of the ones who, who meet that criteria, only about one in four actually have a diagnosis. So that means 75% of the people that have a disorder are running around and we're dealing with them. We can't understand why they're difficult to get along with. And we don't understand why they're having such a hard time holding a job. Right. It's part of our reality and we, we need to change that. But but okay, so let's say we have Uncle Bob and we're having lunch at three. We're having dinner at three thirty instead of lunch. What is the first step I can take with Uncle Bob aside from <laughs> adjusting my Thanksgiving Day schedule? Well, what what we have to do is realize that that in a lot of cases, individuals who are suffering from from things like alcoholism, they're they they tend to be diagnosed or not diagnosing, uh, uh, treating an undiagnosed issue, whether it's depression, anxiety, uh, things like that. So that they're, they're, they're coping with alcohol and it's not functioning very well. So what we have to do as a family is, is go ahead and acknowledge what's really going on and not be able to be afraid to talk about uncle Bob, because when uncle Bob walks in the room, everybody gets quiet because they don't want him to blow up. They don't want him to get upset. And kids learn that, Hey, 
if I want to be left alone, all I really need to do is get some kind of behavior that is scary to the family. And I'm going to walk through the living room and nobody's going to say anything to me. And it's not an overt thing that they're doing. They do it unconsciously. And then when they get into trouble, they use these same coping mechanisms. But if it's on the table, now all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's something going on here. Even though you may not be able to get Bob to go down to, to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, the rest of your family, as they see their stressors coming on, they can go and get help before they become that alcoholic or before they become fully uh, depressed and can't get off the couch or out of the house. So it, it is about being able to, to recognize that there are some problems here and I can get help before it becomes overwhelming and I can't function anymore. Right, so you bring up the point that alcoholism is essentially, I mean, not for everybody, but you're saying that for right. people that you see, a lot of times the alcoholism is a coping mechanism for an underlying mental disorder, correct? Yes, sir. And yes, sir. Exactly. What are those, what are the most common mental disorders you're seeing? Not that we we're going to spend all day talking about alcoholism. But what, are, <laughs> what are the most common mental disorders you're seeing uh, people use alcoholism to cope for? Well, depression is one of the biggest ones. Um, in my practice right now, uh, I have several individuals who come from very successful families and they're average. And so they have serious self-esteem issues and they would rather go drink and be the black sheep of the family than walk in and be normal because everybody else in the family is superior in general. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a broad statement, but I, I can't disclose too much about my patients. So. Well, that's fine. But you're saying that some sort of underlying feeling of inadequacy in the people that yes. you're surrounded by creates a depression and then they self-medicate with alcohol because the alcoholism is a distraction from their own feelings of inadequacy? That is exactly what my patients have told me actually in the last two weeks because we've started some new treatment modalities with them and and uh, <laughs> that's actually come up. So how common is that? notion of depression in in your patients is that the primary one right now or are you seeing other elements um for depression itself depression can be caused by a lot of different things and oftentimes by the time they get into my office they don't really know what it is it's unquantifiable and it takes sometimes months or even years for them to process to figure out what originally was the trigger um it's it's not you know, if it was like, oh, we can, we just need to help them get their grades up, then everything will be better. It's, it's not that simple, or they would not have depression. They would just go through a period of sadness, they'd kick it into gear, and they'd get over it. Um, and that's, that's what a lot of people forget about depression is it's not just being sad. Sad is just a symptom of depression. It's not what depression is. When you start thinking about depression, you start thinking about uh, no motivation. They don't find pleasure in anything. It's called anhedonia. And they get tied up and locked into uh, a mechanism of just self-defeating behaviors altogether. They withdraw and basically hide from the world. And okay, so let's say let's say you recognize that in yourself or in somebody close to you. What is the healthiest first step? Healthiest first step is uh, get get somebody to help you, a professional. Uh, if that's not available, you ask somebody in your house to help you do that. Uh, they, it can take a wide range of, of uh, directions. For example, for women, one of the most common people that you contact is actually your OBGYN because you, you, you're vulnerable to them and that's somebody you feel safe with because of the type of nature that they have in that situation. In fact, uh, there are years where OBGYNs actually prescribe more psychotropic medications than psychiatrists in this country. Wow. Just because they're the point of contact? Exactly. That is exactly right. Um, a psychiatrist may scare people off because, oh, no, I'm not that crazy. So go see your general practitioner. Mm. You know, if, if it's a child, introduce your child to the school psychologist. Every school in this nation has one. Every public school, sorry, in this nation has one. <laughs> and every... Every public school has counselors that would much rather be doing counseling than doing administrative work and working out your schedule for next year. So, right. so you know, take them there. It's a good place to start. And if they can't do it, they know counselors in the community because working with kids is different 
You know, we talk about things like ADHD, and we know that ADHD doesn't respond to certain people. The medications doesn't respond to them. And what we found out is ADHD really, more often than not, is one of two problems. It's sleep deprivation or it's depression, and the depression is manifesting as ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. That's, well, I mean, that, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I mean we've talked a lot on our shows about the importance of sleep and how that can affect your brain and how that can affect your attention. So, and a lot of schools, have you seen a lot of schools that are, are doing the thing where they start a little bit later? Yes, they start a little bit later. Uh, some of the schools are, are, are giving more, you know, a longer day, but more breaks in between the classes. Yeah. And, and that helps because, you know, we're biological animals and we're hunter gatherers by, by biology. And we need about anywhere from three to seven or eight times a day, we need a period of time where we just blow energy. And it's very difficult for us to sit still for a long period of time. And we're not talking about like an hour's worth of just running, but, you know, five to 15 minutes of just burning off energy and being active, get the blood flowing, ox reoxygenate your blood and, and makes it so you can focus and attend now for a couple hours. So that brings us to something that I actually really want to talk to you about that a lot of your research focuses on, uh, or at least a lot of the stuff I've read about you focuses on. Okay. Uh, and that is this disconnect between modern life and what we are biologically programmed to be. Uh, beyond just a standard school day, but how do you see that manifest itself? This, I, this We live in screens, in tiny cubicles, in tiny rooms. We're indoors so much nowadays. How do you see that manifesting itself in mental illness? Well, I, I think, and, and the research supports this, that the ungoal-directed behavior in front of your screen. So, like, if you're working on a spreadsheet for, you know, profit and loss sheet you know, statement or a paper for, for school or something like that, that tends to not do this. But those social media things and just sitting there watching, you know, YouTube after YouTube video and Vimeo and all these different things, just kind of mindlessly doing that. Please but stop describing a... my day. It, right now you're just <laughs> describing my average day. <laughs> Yeah, well, what we what we see is two hours or so of that kind of behavior, and it starts triggering actually signs of depression, overt signs that we see in people's behavior. So, so we know, and the and and there's some studies, and and even CDC has made some statements that we know uh, random or or social media and screen time is causal for depression. I believe. And, and yeah, and, and it makes sense. And one of the things that happens is our, our bodies need sunlight. You know, the whole connection between sunlight, your skin making vitamin D production and, and taking that vitamin D production and, and the waste products from manufacturing vitamin D. It's not just the vitamin D itself, but the waste products actually pass through our blood brain barrier because the molecules are small enough. Uh, it's a size-based semi-permeable membrane. So those waste products get in there, and now they're floating around in our brain, and our brain actually takes those out of the, the, the fluid in our brain and uses them to make our neurotransmitters for dopamine, norepinephrine, uh, serotonin, all the different neurotransmitters we have inside because those molecules themselves are too big to go through those uh -huh. membranes. So we need sunlight because the sunlight causes vitamin D production and the waste products from vitamin D production are the building blocks for our neural transmitters. And what do we It's a weird version of, of human brain photosynthesis. Exactly. It really is. And, and <laughs> I've, I've never had anybody put it that way, but you're right. That's a good one. So thank you. I, I have that effect on people. <laughs> well, we'll go get a copywritten really fast. And <laughs> <laughs> So what happens then is, is we get on our computers, whether we're doing work all day or we're, we're watching YouTube videos all day, and we, we miss out on that, that sunlight. And it's just like the old coal miners. You know, they would go underground before the daylight, and then they would get out after the sunset. Mm. And we wondered why they were always gloomy and depressed. Well, we know why. They're not, they don't have the materials to build those neurotransmitters. So even in that case, then taking our serotonin reuptake inhibitors or norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, uh, it, it does you no good because there's no 
neurotransmitters being produced. So So just just to break that down for a second, because I know there's a lot of lay people listening right now. Those those two things you just described are two different types of antidepressants. Yes, they are very much so. And I just want to just flesh this out for the audience. Uh, Reuptake inhibitor means that when you have let's go with serotonin, you have serotonin in your neurotrans in your uh, neuro gaps, your your gaps between the neurons. Instead of your body reabsorbing it, the amount of serotonin stays in that neuro junction, in that in that neurological junction, as opposed to getting reabsorbed. But if you're not making any serotonin, stopping the drain of serotonin isn't going to keep your serotonin levels high in your brain. Is that your right. point? Right. Okay. That that's my point. And you know, and and you did a really good job describing it. And what happens is our bodies again are are biological. And they try to take a path of least resistance. In other words, they don't want to use up any more energy than it actually has to. That's great. Okay, so, so far, we just had a very technical discussion (laughs) about why we need to get outside more and get more sunlight. So, step one to combating our modern life doldrums is to get outside and let that sun. And now we all know why at a very technical level or a moderately technical level. I'm sure <laughs> yes. it's I'm sure there's some, you know, neuroscientists listening right now going, "Well, actually, it's much more complex." Yeah, it's far beyond what I do actually. Right. I mean, they they can really make me run in circles. Okay, so, yes. so get some sunlight. Get a healthy get amount sunlight. of sunlight. That's step 1. What other things are we missing in our modern life that's making us that's messing with our brains that we're not designed for? Well, let's go back to to social media. And social media and the generation coming up now has only known a world with social media. Now you think about it, you know, smartphones were invented in 2007. So we're talking 11 years mm-hmm. and it has changed our world significantly, yeah. not necessarily in all good ways. One of the bad ways is that people think they're actually socializing on right. these social media apps right. and they're spending less and less time with other human beings. When I go and I talk to college freshmen and they don't know to look me in the eye when I'm talking to them, you know that they are impoverished when it comes to that social interaction. And social media is very addicting, okay? Whenever somebody clicks a like on anything, whether it's Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, anything, the reality of it is we've measured it. You're actually getting a little bit of a dopamine bump every time. It's It's not literally addicting. It is literally addicting. It's the same mechanism that heroin works on, only not as intense, not a high level, but it's gradual. I would would hope not. We have a bunch of people (laughs) strung out on social media. That's right. Well, they are actually because it's a chronic kind of strung out. And and they they, they start feeling depressed. And the thing that makes them feel better is another like. Right. And so it becomes a vicious cycle until they're really deep into it and they can't let go of their social media. And think about it like this. When you see a friend walking down a hallway and they smile at you and you shake hands with them and you look at them in the eye and maybe you, you actually hug or whatever, you've got so many other neurotransmitters and sensor, sensory uh, stimulation there that it is kind of completing that human experience. And when we do social media... It's very much like drinking a diet soda. You know, you get a sweet taste in your mouth, your stomach gets filled up, and it satiates you for a moment, but there's absolutely no nutritional value in that at all, and eventually we become malnourished. Well, that's what social media is doing, but now it's an emotional malnourishment. So basically, we're just we're giving ourselves the saccharine equivalent of social interaction? Exactly. Uh, so, okay, so okay, so we—it's I, I, not going anywhere. The largest companies in the world have a social media component to them. That's right. What can we start doing? Well, I mean, I, I, how can we still be involved in these social media accounts? Because, like for me, I don't go to my high school reunion anymore because I talk to my friends on social media that I would I would catch up with again if I went to a high school reunion. So why it's going to be a part of my life. How do we practice responsible social media uh, behavior? Well, you know, we're learning. This is a learning curve. Again, we're talking 11 years and and we're just now finding out this stuff because people are are 
you know, they're, they're not getting the emotional nutrition they need to have. It's pretty scary. And, and what we're seeing is that getting them, getting individuals to start actually interacting in groups of people is the best way to do it. So one of the things we do in my house, my kids are required to do activities that require them to actually have have some social connection there in order to earn screen time. Okay. So my my son, for example, is now a second degree black belt because he gets screen time for karate or martial arts time. He also is is a singer and a piano player, and he goes out and performs. And his practicing and working on that, he earns that screen time. My daughter's a basketball player. She's almost at her black belt. Um, and, and she plays guitar and sings and, and participates in, in singing in her choir and things like that. And they get privileges to have access to screen time by doing those things. And they know if those things stop, so does their screen time. So it sounds like you're hijacking their addiction, the addiction pathway in their brain, in order to, and, and you're kind of supervising this, in order to force uh, mature, socially developmental behavior in them, but using that same neurological pathway? Exactly. In fact, there's a technical term for it called the PREMAC principle. You use something that is already self-reinforcing to reinforce other behaviors. Okay, so how can we... As adults uh, or or self motivated individuals, use this pre Mac principle in order to create a new healthier habit in our own life. Whether it's whether we want to be better at saving money or you know write that book that has been sitting on our our computer for a year and a half. Well, I just got through telling you what I utilize with my kids, and and that means my kids are not doing it. I'm right. making them do right. it. So you have to develop enough of a motivation and enough of a drive that you will actually refrain from doing something that is self-motivating, whether it's smoking cigarettes or playing video games, and replace that with this, you know, writing the great novel you've been wanting to write forever. But can you can you give yourself like a carrot and stick thing where you definitely. So what are some what are some good tools that would that would fit into that pre Mac principle applying it to yourself? Okay, so so what if what if you love your video games like the kids do, and that's what, how you how you you know recoup from your stressful day as a neurosurgeon or whatever you do. If you're right? already a neurosurgeon, you don't need this. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> Okay. This so is let's this see. is the guy you're, that's you're working the job that he doesn't want to work so that he right. can pay for his time or her time to write the great American novel or whatever okay. that dream might be. Okay. So you're driving a bus to write the great American Thank novel. You. Yes. Let's let's be realistic about this. But, but traffic is horrid. And so every day after work, you're stressed out from traffic. So you sit down in front of your PlayStation or your Xbox, and next thing you know, it's time to go to bed. And you've just wasted one more right. day. Right. So what you would do, you could set up a schedule, and, and actually I recommend having a timer, and you time yourself, and, and you have to get up, say, an hour early or half an hour early. It doesn't have to be a huge chunk of time, but a half an hour early, and before you get in the shower, before you start your routine, you sit down at a computer and you work for 30 minutes, and that's you have to work for 30 minutes on your novel. And then if you do that, then you can do whatever you want at the end of the day. But you got to do the 30 minutes in the morning hmm. or you can't turn on the PlayStation at night. Hmm. Now, you think 30 minutes. Well, you know, the way I got through my dissertation was getting up and writing 15 minutes a, a day on it. And some days I sat there and I didn't write a thing. I just kind of, you know, stared at the screen. And other days I sat there and I couldn't believe how much I put out in one one morning. Right. You know? um, you're, you're going through the motions and you're training your body to start activating itself and working on that writing, whatever it is. And you train that. And actually, sometimes when you get into that writing and you start, the flow gets going. Right. And, you know, you have to stop or you're going to be late to work. Right. And and that, all of a sudden now we're starting to create a new self-reinforcing behavior. Right. So, But, but it I, takes time. Yeah. 
And do you have any tools that you like? I mean, because that I, I love the idea of setting a low achievable goal, a you know, sort of minimum viable product version of of writing. So okay, fifteen minutes a day, I'm gonna do that. Um how do you how do you reinforce that in yourself? How what are some tools that people can use to is it just you set that timer and you've gotta form the habit, or is there any way to make that habit easier to form? Well, you know, if you could find a way to reinforce yourself like the the video games do, which constantly stimulate you and give you reinforcement, it's very difficult. Those designers are genius. And even though most of them don't have psychologists on staff, I, I, they, ha they have to have people who understand that mechanism because it is so addictive, some of these games. And uh, how do we do that? How do we recreate that? It's It's... It's difficult in ourselves. We can't fool ourselves. We have to know what we're doing. And when we talk about behavior modification, it, it works best when we know what's going on and we take part in producing that behavior modification plan. So when I have a, a patient in there, we do that. Um, as a parent, you know, m my son begged me for a piano. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. You know, you, you, that's a lot of money. Right. So we got him a piano at Christmas last year. And he comes out and starts playing it. And we're like, okay, you played 15 minutes. You're done. Go play a video game. And he'd go play for a little while and he'd come back and start playing the piano. 10 minutes. Okay, you played enough. Get out of here. You're, you're forcing him to limit his time with the piano. Right. But what happens is then he doesn't get burnt out sitting there playing the same song for five hours straight. Right. And I will tell you that by March of this year, he did his first show with 400 people at it, singing and playing the piano. And he just did a show in September for an hour and a half in front of at a comedy club in front of strangers and playing Billy Joel and Elton John songs with the harmonica that he was playing also. Do you feel a little bit like B.F. Skinner, you know, experimenting <laughs> on your own children? Well, I find things that they like to do and and you you work it to their advantage. You know, I wasn't going to say, OK, I bought you this expensive piano. It's an electronic piano so we can keep it in his room. It's not you know huge, uh, but it's a full size keyboard and everything. And and we take something he he has this desire to do and we just set the environment up so he doesn't get burnt out on it. Mm hmm. And he made the choice to do that. I, I play guitar. I wanted him to play guitar, you know. And when he was real little, he couldn't get his hands around it. So so I bought him a bunch of blues harmonicas, and he was playing harmonica at three. So, All right. So, so you're reinforcing this behavior in your kid. Are you, are you saying that this idea of burning yourself out on the good behavior? Um, yes. How important is it to limit that? Or if you're having a good day, can you just let yourself write for 12 hours? Or will that, will that be counterproductive in the long run? If you're having a good day, it's reinforcing itself. You, and you won't, you'll get into what we call flow, and you don't even realize you burnt 12 hours. But you've actually been productive, and you enjoyed it. You've lost yourself in the activity. And that's what we want. So now when he sits down and plays, we don't, we don't put limit on his t time on the piano anymore. Mm -hmm. He just plays. You know, and it's we already still, reinforced itself enough. And, and it continues to reinforce itself as he hear him, hears himself get better. He, he finds nuances, things he didn't hear before, little subtle timing right. changes. Right. And and it just stimulates him. And, you know, we'll have him go to bed and, you know, we wake up at three o'clock in the morning. and He's in there with his headphones on playing because he woke up and, you know, I can't sleep. So I sit in front of the piano and we have to go, OK. How long have you been up? You know, you need, you got school tomorrow. You got to get back to bed. <laughs> All right. So uh, aside from bragging about your kids, which is fantastic, um, <laughs> the, a lot uh, the iPhone, the newest iPhone um, operating system, now has some built-in limits that you can set for different apps. How useful is that to make your phone be the item be self-regulating instead of you being self-regulating? Well, you still have to program it. You still have to set those parameters. So you're still doing it. You're just using a tool. And, you know, we do the same thing through our server, our Wi-Fi server we have here at home. And we we control how long our kids can be on their computer through the server. We can pick up, you know, let one kid who's three years older play longer than the other child 
and the other child gets cut off, you know, two hours earlier or an hour earlier, depending upon homework and schedules and stuff like that. So we, you know, we're going to use those technologies just like we would on our kids, on ourselves, And that's the beauty of these. And, uh, you know, parents have a hard time doing that. And you may not have the newest iPhone. And there's some amazing apps out there that give you control over those things and help you monitor those Can things. Can you name some of them? Because I have a couple. Um, you know, I, I, I go through a different list every time. One of them that I like is Bark. It, it, it's real informative. It tells parents what their kids are actually doing without necessarily telling exactly what the kids are saying. But, mm. hey, this is not a good app and people, you know, lost personal information on it and stuff like that. So parents don't have to be on top of every little thing and they can give their kids a little bit of privacy. Semantic has a program. You know, it's a, it's a, we've used it as an antivirus for decades. Well, it's, it's trusted by a lot of people. So use that. Um, an interesting thing, if you go look for these uh, on, on the app store or uh, in, in the Apple store, you start looking at the reviews. The ones that get the worst reviews are usually the best because what happens is the kids are really technologically savvy and they mm -hmm. get on there and they start writing horrible reviews about the apps because they don't want <laughs> other kids parents to get them so so uh look at the reviews and then start looking at the language are they are they writing it from like hey you can tell this person got in trouble and their parents are using the app on it or not so just because it has a low rating in that situation doesn't, doesn't mean that it's mean a bad one exactly uh, I, the one that i like for self-regulation is called moment and i'll put a link to uh bark to awesome. a link to the simantech and a link to moment in our uh or Symantec. In the, yes, in the show whatever. notes for for this episode, <laughs> uh, okay. So let's. So we've got our addiction to social media and how that how that creates sort of an ersatz social connection. You talked about our lack of time in the sun. Are there other elements to our modern life that is that is deteriorating our mental health? <laughs> wow, you know that that's a big part of it right there. The other things, you know, the more social we are, the the better off we're going to be. In, in, you know, all things being equal, which they're not, uh, th there are times and places for learning to be alone and enjoying being by yourself. And mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of a maturation kind of thing. You mature and, and you feel that, that you can be silent with yourself, enjoy your own thoughts. And, you know, we start talking about things like enlightenment and, and like that. And, some people never get there. Some people never do and have great lives. So it's not essential for a great life, but it definitely is a sign that, that you're, you're together. Now, if you enjoy being alone just because you hate people, that's not a good sign. Right. Uh, it's sort of antisocial reclusive behavior is not what you're talking about. How much does mindfulness meditation, that's sort of a very popular buzzword thing going on right now, uh, how, how much does that play into what you're talking about? Well, it, and it's a, it's a great way to do that. And I like, you know, one of the things I found with my own experience with martial arts is it, it's a physical form of meditation because I like to spend time in contemplation with myself, talking about, you know, having discussions with myself about, about different things, life events, how I'm feeling about different things. But for me to sit down and meditate, I find very difficult. Mm. Focusing on one word or focusing on a on an image, a mandala, um, and I help my patients do it. I teach them how to do it. I just it's not really for me. It's kind of like progressive muscle relaxation doesn't really work for me. I like the stretching and letting your muscles relax relax that way. So I find that doing the katas or the 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 youngs the the forms of martial arts where you're doing different kicks and punches in very specific order and with specific timing i find that to be very meditative and i get lost in my thoughts while i'm going through those motions and i don't even think about the motions anymore because it, it's it's all part so and parcel. There's an actual benefit to those weird guys i drive by at the park doing the tai chi stuff Exactly. There, there, there is, there is. And, you know, I, I, I use, or I train in a specific type of martial arts that's taught in Korean. So my instructors are speaking and I'm supposed to be learning Korean. I'm not going to say I, I have learned it, but, um, you know, I'm almost a third degree at this point. 
and and I still have a very difficult time. So it forces me to focus on being present in that situation. Like, you know, the last two weeks I've had two new patients who tried to kill themselves with, mm. you know, one of them shot himself in the stomach, the other one shot himself in the face. And that's pretty disturbing and difficult to, to right. deal with on a day-to-day basis. But I go into martial arts and I'm able to clear my head and focus on the martial arts and it allows me to relax and become centered again. And I can do my motivation that way or my meditation that way. Sorry. That, uh, okay, that, okay. So for people that are not as, I don't want to call it dedicated, but let's say uh, not everybody's going to go out there right now and start doing, correct. start doing this level of martial arts. So what can a normal person do? Well, you know, it, expand yourself, try, try yoga, learn it, learn to play the guitar, learn to play the piano, but do it right. Don't force yourself and browbeat yourself. Mm. Do it. You enjoy it. Let's do it for 15 minutes. Stop. There's 24 hours in the day. You don't have to do it two hours straight. Do 15 minutes now. A couple hours later, do 15 minutes more. And and do the same stuff over and over and over. Drill and practice is is the tenets of all our memory and our learning. And it's one of the things that we have stepped away from in society is that drill and practice. Because why should I do this when it's on my computer? But your brain likes that and it reinforces itself. I mean, this is just one of like a hundred things that we need to be doing to counter exactly. the ridiculousness that is our modern life. Like everything's supposed to be perfect <laughs> right now, but our bodies and minds are going, this is not what we were meant for. Right. Exactly. You know, go back to the basics. You yeah. know, we're an animal. And, you know, when when are animals the best? When they're out there doing what animals doing, yeah. eating, running, hunting you know, chasing after each other, you know, uh, horsing around, so to speak. But we have an organized society and um, we found that we can we can feed a lot more people if we do, you know, organized farming instead of hunting, gather, hunter gathering. Yeah. And we've kind of started at moving away from that. But the biology is still the same. Right. And we have to we have to recharge that biology and and make it connect with what we're doing. So okay, so th- what I'm hearing, you know, just to recap again, because we've gotten in the weeds on a lot of this stuff. So, <laughs> so first thing first would be get outside in the sun every once in a while and get that vitamin D production up. Second thing would be use time limiting apps in order to break the feedback loop, the depression causing feedback loop of social media. Yes. The other thing would be to hijack parts of your brain to reinforce socially positive behaviors that allow us to be mindful of our body and brain, whether that's through Tai Chi, martial arts, yoga, or or mindfulness. Soccer, meditation. whatever. Soccer, yeah. whatever it is that gets you into your body. So any kind of, even even weightlifting. That, that Weightlifting was what I was going to say next. Yeah. That's what I used to use till I broke my shoulder, and then I couldn't do that, and that's how I found martial arts. Okay. So now with with those as a kind of a starting place, I want to shift gears for a second here and talk okay. about some some of the behavior that social media has reinforced that is, I think, most disturbing, especially across the generation gap. So we see these these things go on online and they go they go viral. Um, these challenges, these trends, uh, where where ridiculous behavior is reinforced by that by that behavior loop that we've been talking about for so long today. So uh, you see it in positive ways for the ALS ice bucket challenge where people are trying to raise awareness of their ALS. But I feel like the ice bucket became more uh, about the ridiculousness of the ice bucket stuff than it was actually about supporting ALS. And that's on the good side of things. On the bad side of the spectrum, kids are eating laundry detergent. What What is it... Two questions is to, to <laughs> is a big lead in. It's a big lead in, but okay. you know I let you get technical on the neurons, so you're gonna let me do a big lead in. I'll buy it. Okay, I'm good. So my two questions is one, what is causing kids to to what is reinforcing that ridiculously? I'm just gonna call it dumb behavior, uh, and then two, what can parents do in order to because that uh, you look across the generation camp. There's no baby boomer who's looking at laundry detergent going, oh, yeah, I remember when I was a kid and I used to suck down a bucket and a half a Tide. Like nobody, it's a new phenomenon 
how do you how do you deal with that when that was something that a lot of us didn't deal with as kids? Well, yeah, we didn't. I mean, because you know, this is eleven year old mechanism that we're using here, uh, and and it's surprising. You know, we look at this and go, "Oh my goodness!" But the reality of it is, kids' brains are not adult brains. They haven't developed. They haven't learned to weed through the BS. And they think things, hey, wouldn't it be great to be famous? And I can do that on Instagram. And wait, the Kardashians are famous for doing nothing. So why can't I do this? And if I get people to watch me, in fact, I've worked on on several court cases as a forensic psychologist where they bring me in because the, the person who committed the crimes was recording them all for for likes on YouTube and Instagram yeah. and, and they, they convicted themselves, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they provided everything the police needed to make the arrest and conviction. And the judges are saying something's wrong with these kids. And I'm saying, you know, they're, they're starving. We go back to that, that, uh, uh social, uh, malnutrition that they have. They're starving for, human interaction and they'll get it any way they can even when it's bad for them okay but the corollary of what you just said is that our modern life our modern social media smartphone life is literally breeding sociopathy in people well no no because sociopathy says that they don't care about other people and they don't they're not concerned with other people so where's the where's the disconnect in thinking that uh, harming others for likes is appropriate behavior where that harm well, is th okay. those individuals who are harming others or harming animals those people are sociopathic in their behavior and i'm talking about kids who vandalize uh the cases i've worked on were kids young young adults before the age of 20 who were who are vandalizing property and causing great damage to to businesses and things like that after hours, and and they all of a sudden had three hundred thousand followers the next day, so they're reinforced to go and do that again tomorrow. Mm. So it's essentially taking a healthy brain mechanism and reinforcing sociopathic and psychopathic behavior. Yes, even though those people aren't true so psychopaths and sociopaths, they still care about other human beings. Right. They, you know, they have, you know, they 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 respect their parents and they don't want them to be upset with them and all that type of stuff. Yes. But they're caring about they're caring about that in the wrong context. So they're thinking of what's more important right now is getting the likes and the followers. Yes. What's less important is the consequences of my actions in the real world immediately before me. Well, just like a lot of kids believe they're indestructible, a lot of these people think that there's no way, you know, the cops are too stupid to figure this out. Mm -hmm. They don't even have a YouTube account. Right. And so <laughs> and, <laughs> and so then they're and then they, and they eventually they get caught and then that's okay. So again, how can parents break up this ridiculous I won't call it sociopath, antisocial behavior. Antisocial behavior. The best way to do it, again, is to monitor what your kids are doing. You know, the 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 society involved in this, um, you know, whether it's it's Instagram and Facebook who all say that, oh no, you have to be at least 13 before you have these accounts. You know, that you least just they have to try. check a box. It's not like That's you have to show exactly ID. Right. That's exactly right. So what 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 we recommend is that when you get when you allow your children to have f phones and tablets, have them you know log those things in and register them with your email account, just like you have your cell phone and stuff. Because anytime they upload an app, you'll get a notification that that app was uploaded to their their their, their tool, yeah. whatever it is, the device. And you don't have to know all of them. You know, I'm saying let's use the technology. Let's go back to that Bark app and let Bark tell me, hey, this is not something I need my kids doing. But my kids are required even today, you know, at 16 and, and my daughter's 13, we get all their passwords or they don't get on their computers. Right. Uh, I but, mean, that's just that's just it. All right. So from a parent's perspective, you're saying supervision is the key, which is, I, I guess, something yes. that we all need to know. And and you're recommending again the Bark app as a way of monitoring your kids' behavior for those right. for those of us that are less uh, technically inclined who can't 
rewire our router so that only certain IP addresses get, you know, an hour of screen time a day? <laughs> well, the router companies are getting better than, you know, I, I just, mine, my dog ran through the house and knocked it off. So we had to get a new router. And so we got an updated router that was designed this year or whatever hit the market this year. And there's a real simple little app. You just click on it. You don't even have to, you know, know what the, right. what the IP addresses are and stuff like that. It's really, really convenient. So they're getting better too. And, and realize that, you know, there's no way because we have jobs and we bring in money right. that pays for, for them to do this. If we don't have time to sit there, you know, 12 hours a day and we don't sit down and talk with our friends, dude, this new social app and, you know, they're not monitoring it right now. So there's still people flashing, you know, and showing skin and yada, yada you know. Right. So we're not going through all that stuff. But the kids are and they become very, very adept at switching around and changing things. That's why that's why I think it's worth the the two dollars or so every month to get those apps and have them working on your phone and monitoring your kids. And it's 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 so worth it. Raising kids is very difficult. It's very time consuming. It's very expensive, not just money wise, but just right. in the amount of time is involved. And that's if you just do a good job. If you want to do a great job, it's it's overwhelming for most people, really. So, and I, I think another consequence of modern life is that we have a lot of even uh, even intact nuclear families with two parents, a lot of them have to be double income. You have to have both of them working nowadays. So you don't have Absolutely. that one parent that's home and in their face all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That That is so true. I mean, these things aren't getting any cheaper. Right. You know, and the, when they start to get cheaper, all of a sudden they come up with a new version of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, Planned obsolescence. That's what it is. And it's engineers and it's training and it's business experience. But if they're doing a right, good job, we're like, wow, this is that much better. So we'll go buy it. You know, how many times have people sat back and let, you know, okay, iPhone 5 iPhone 6, I don't need the update. iPhone 7, don't really. Okay, here's 8. Now, that was a big step. I right. want to go change. Right. And that's kind of what, what we do. We kind of make negotiations within ourselves. Mm -hmm. Is it worth the money? And, and in this case, man, parents, you don't have to sit there and spend hours upon hours. I had a parent one time tell me, oh, there's only, you know, there's only X number of apps out there. And the research shows if you have seven or more social media apps, you're three times more likely to be clinically depressed. I mean, it's literally a, a, a depression gun that we all hold yes. against our heads every day. Yes, yes, exactly. So and I had, a parent, I, had, I had a parent say, oh, there aren't that many out there. And I pulled up my phone, went to the, the store, uh, the app store, right. and I showed them within 30 seconds about 300 social media apps. Right. And they were floored. They couldn't believe it. Right. And there's no way we can keep up with that. And you don't so, know what the next one that's going to be is. Okay, so that's right. here is the million-dollar question for parents right now. And, and I had no intention of talking to you simply about technological parenting today, but, but we're, we're on <laughs> this, and I want your expert opinion, and it's this. What about, and, uh, what about the screen-free environments, for, especially for children under 10? Where are, are we going to be? There's a balance, right? The, on the one side, yes. you think, okay, these screens are killing us. Let's keep them out of our kids' lives as long as possible if their brains develop as much as possible. But on the other side, is these screens aren't going anywhere in modern life. They need the time in order to be up to speed so they don't get left behind in the workforce. So, what do you think about the screen free concept and how that's going to develop them into, into social interactions going forward? Well, the thing I always talk about is moderation. Too much of anything is a bad thing. Too much oxygen with a new baby causes blindness. You know, too much water and you drown. But if you don't have enough water, you dehydrate and die. So you've got to come up with a balance that you're willing to deal with. When I have, you know, two and three-year-old kids who come into my office and I've got, I've got my magazines out there, you know, like everybody does in the doctor's waiting room, and I see a kid trying to swipe instead of turn the page, <laughs> that, kid, that kid has been exposed to too many yeah, things. Yeah, you think? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I see it more often than I don't, which is pretty sad. Yeah, that is sad. And so, and then as a clinician, how are you combating that? I mean, I heard as a parent, but as a clinician, how are you, are you combating that? 
education. Go back to the whole destigmatization of mental health. The best way to do it is to talk about it, share it, and learn about it. So I share it and with the parents, and I share it with the kids. And, you know, it's just like when I have a 13-year-old girl come in and says she wants to be pregnant so she can have a baby that will love them forever. And, you know, I try to, you know, just like every other adult out there, well, do you always love your mother? Oh, but it'll be different. Right. So you know that tact isn't going to work. That's why their parents have brought them to me because they've tried that full frontal right. approach. And you have to you have to educate them about other things. Well, what would make your life better? Well, okay, if you if you go to a really good college and you could you know get a good job and now you can buy that car you want or right. you know now you can afford a sailboat and you start manipulating their world perspective and get them to see the world from basically a different channel. It's like they've been watching NBC their whole life and now we're going to make them watch CBS. But how you know? do you do that when they're inundated with? essentially free fame right the, the <laughs> but you, what you're talking about is 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 social capital you have to spend social capital today and study instead of getting pregnant which will make you happy right now but you have to spend that time studying and going to a better college and getting the things you want the delayed gratification delayed gratification right. so is the key you're buying into all that concept but we are inundated as a society with Get fame quick. How do you break that cycle? Well, you know, think about when we were growing up, okay? We had these these overnight successes in music. And I have lots of friends who are in music and, and, and musicians who played all over the world and toured with amazing bands. Right. And... And, you know, they I've talked to some of these overnight successes and they go, yeah, if you count 20 years on the road playing dives five nights a week and not having enough food to eat overnight, then it was a f overnight success. Today, literally, you can have that overnight. Right. Success that's my point. You, that was delayed gratification that looked like overnight success. Now we literally have it. We literally have it. And it goes down to how far are you willing to go? Yeah, I'll eat that Tide Pod. Part of me knows that this is not going to be good for me. But if I get 500,000 people to watch it, wow, now I'm famous. Yeah. I mean, that's just, a de the, now, see, now I'm depressed. Because that's just a, <laughs> that's a depressing <laughs> worldview that we're all walking into right now. Okay. <laughs> So now <laughs> that is. being said, we've talked about some coping mechanisms. Like I understand that's the world we live in and how as parents can we cope? How as individuals can we improve ourselves? Let me ask you this golden question and this will be the last thing that I ask you on this. <laughs> I hope I might get irate and start asking you more questions. But okay. but here's my I, I'm hoping this is the last thing. What what is the minimum amount of time it's that's required to break these negatively reinforced habits or i mean i guess it's technically positively reinforced habits they're just being reinforced in a different yes. way what is yes. the minimum amount of time it's going to take for us to break that and repurpose it into positive behaviors well if you're willing to go cold turkey we know us notice a significant change in going cold turkey in after seven days seven days so, so turning off all your screens and stepping away in seven days you can have a much happier life. In fact, we do some some uh, re you know uh, rehabilitation stuff in, in conjunction with a, a ketamine clinic here. And if you join up, one of the requirements is we move you into a sober living environment where there are no televisions, there's no Wi-Fi, and you're not allowed to watch the news for a month. Wow! And it's amazing how my patients come out of there in a month. Yeah. Their world has changed, and they're a different person. Okay. That's not realistic for a lot of people to go cold turkey. So what's a more realistic right. version of that? Okay. First thing I start doing, and I would recommend everybody to do, you know, we all go out to eat today, mm -hmm. you know, or we, whether we're sitting at the table in our house or sitting at a restaurant, you know, and we try to, we mute our phones and all that kind of stuff. Don't set an example for your kids. Turn the phone off for, you're only going to be there for less than an hour. Turn the phone off. That tells you, and the people around you, some important things. First of all, it says, yeah, I know I've got this phone and I know I've got my business and all that, but you're important enough for me to wait an hour. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that starts sending unspoken words of care and, and it, it, it helps create this atmosphere. And then you turn around and you ask your kids, well, you know, I turn mine off and I make a living with this thing. Turn yours off. 
Right. Okay. And start there. Start with one hour a day, dinner time. But now you have to actually do something else. You all have to sit down together and have dinner together. Oh, my goodness. And look at each other. Well, I've deleted a bunch of the social media apps from my phone for this reason. I want uh, Social media is how we connect with our audience. Social media is great. It's how I connect yes. with people. But what I found that I was using my phone for passive checking of it. In other words, I had a second of downtime. And so my phone would come out and I would mindlessly look at my phone. So by deleting the apps, I now have to have an intentional decision in order to check them. And that has made a huge difference. In fact, yes. when I delete the app... For a couple of days, to, a couple of weeks, I mean, I'm I'm like ghost going for it. I, I'm I'm opening my phone, starting to swipe, trying to find the app, and there, until I realize, oh, I don't do that anymore. I don't have that app on my phone anymore. <laughs> and that is one of the scariest things: is that my brain still wants it. Yeah. Well, I dropped off Facebook for eight weeks this summer, and it was crazy because I do a couple television shows, and that's how the the producers would get a hold of me through Facebook Messenger. Which reminds me, sudden, if people want to follow up with you, how can they follow up with you on social um, media? You know, it's mainstream, <laughs> mainstreammentalhealth.org. Probably the easiest way to do it is to go to drpsycho.org. Drpsycho.org. Yeah, drpsycho.org. What, what great branding. Unbelievable branding. <laughs> uh, um, I want to say one last thing before I let you go because I've kept you longer than I said I would. Uh, what is, what, take me through one of your typical days. How do you remain productive in the face of all of the ways that you have to deal with? This? Man. Um, yesterday I had my first radio interview at six fifty in the morning. Um, I did that and then I, I jumped, you know, I got up about, about six o'clock, had a cup of coffee, did the interview. The next one was at seven fifteen. Uh, by that time, my kids are up stirring around, so made sure they were moving, and my wife kind of took over at that point. I, I got showered and cleaned up and then did another interview, and then I went down to the, the ketamine clinic and, and had a couple patients there, and then the afternoon started with, with radio interviews, and the last one was last night at 10 o'clock my time. It was over about 11.15. That's and, a ridiculous uh, schedule. That is anathema to everything you just described. How are you? Where's your vitamin D? Well, you know, uh, the day before I did two hours of martial arts. I've got three hours of martial arts planned tomorrow. Um, we go and, and I, I check my deer lease, you know, a couple times a week. And uh, I'm, I, I, I drive a lot. Uh, I, I know that sounds crazy, but it gives me opportunity to clear my head and if my patients are in the next town over, I'm not worried about having them walk in to, to, to dinner with me at the same restaurant I'm at. Yeah. All right. Well, our guest today, Dr. Huber, thank you so much uh, for being a part of it. You, I know we got in the weeds on a lot of this stuff, but it, for me, it was very informative about what our brains are going through with, with our modern life. And, and you've just you've done a very nice job of indulging me. So thank you. No worries. And remember, we're going to get through this. You know, we, we survived Elvis. We'll get through this. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> yeah. All that hip shaking really ruins society way more than way more than social media. Well, they thought so. <laughs> right. uh, they, uh, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. That's it for our show today. If you like Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast, please go ahead and rate, comment and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a lot. If you don't like the show, uh, I, again, I've said this before. Don't even put that in their head. Don't, don't manifest Why are you even that. listening don't, don't at this point? I, yeah, I agree. All hey, right. hey, listen, I have a question for you, a personal question, though. Do you have the good doctor's like cell phone number or you have his email? Oh, right? I, got, I got ways of getting a So do you think maybe uh, if I don't go into his office, do you think maybe I could just, because, you know, Skype psychology is a thing now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you could get a hold of him. Yeah. I'll put a link to his website okay. in the show notes. You can yeah. click on that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm feeling a little down, and I, I want uh, I want to talk about the vitamin D thing. I mean, he he gets into some pretty. He deals with like you know some serious addiction stuff. So I, I on his on oh, his regular practice, perfect. For I me. don't know that yeah, you yeah. like him, the methadone clinics where he's he, he's you know out. you know what we had a friend who was a forensic uh, psychologist, Steve. I can't remember his last name, um, but Connie and Ariel I knew him really well, and um, you know, he was he was actually involved in uh, I think it was the Long Island Lolita. That oh whole, yeah, uh, 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 Lulian? No, yeah, uh, we'll think about it. But but anyway, he he's involved was involved in a lot of, a lot of criminal cases, right? And and one of the guys that he was evaluating came back to uh, to the psychologist's office and shot a bunch of people. Oh and yeah, he died. 
Yeah, it's a, it, the, the clinical psychologist thing is, a, I mean, forensic psychologist when yeah. you're working with the police, it's a real dangerous, not, not to, sorry. To, yeah, know, that's a real downer, downer man. What the heck? Yeah. But I wanted to talk to him because I think he's probably doing some serious stuff. He is. Know? And if you want to follow up again, all of the links to his websites and all of the apps that we talked about are listed in the show notes for uh, monitoring your kid's cell phone use. So you can go ahead and click that's down awesome. there that's and awesome. take Great a look. Job. Uh, again, if you want to get a hold of us, I am Gib Gerard. It is facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. You can get a hold of me there. John is right here, John Tesh, facebook.com slash John Tesh or at John Tesh on Twitter. Yeah, or- if, and if you want uh, the best health tips and encouraging tips, sign up for Connie uh, Selica's oh, uh, Twitter feed, at Connie Selica. That's at Connie Selica on Twitter. Great health, health tips from our intelligence for your health host. And also, uh, if you go to Tesh.com, you can sign up for our newsletter where we will update you about your upcoming book, John. Yes. We can update you about uh, future guests on the podcast, all kinds of things. So, again, Tesh.com, Facebook.com slash John Tesh, at Connie Selica, at Gibson. It's just a whole plethora yeah, just, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Go ahead and click. 